We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what's up friends welcome back to the pack a day podcast happy victory monday i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl the packers did in fact pull off the upset victory in miami on christmas day And this team, out of nowhere, is legitimately alive. And I'll be the first to tell you, did not think I would be saying this. This is a really strange team to cover. Probably the strangest team that I've covered. That that first Matt LaFleur team was was extremely interesting. Um, that was like the you know most fraudulent 13 and 3 team ever. Kind of having a very similar had a very similar season to kind of the, the season that the Vikings are having this year, where your win-loss, your plus-minus differential, not great, but you just kind of keep winning football games, which is at the end of the day, the name of the game. This team is a lot different than that. They've had some games where you look at it and they're like, okay, you know. They look okay at times. A Cowboys game, probably the best example of that. This this Dolphins game at times, an example of that. Other times where you're like, man, you, you, they lose to the Zach Wilson-led New York Jets. Like, There's times where you look at this team, including the huge losing streak, and you're just like, it's a really bad football team. They have no rights even being in the conversation for the playoffs. I find myself having to sort of recalibrate a little bit this season at times because... 
I'm kind of forgetting that the majority of the, the teams in the NFL this year just aren't very good. There are a handful of elite teams at the top. I would say your Bengals, your Chiefs, your Bills. I think the Eagles definitely there. And then you've kind of got your Cowboys and your 49ers trying to get in that conversation. You know, a couple other teams maybe here or there, but you've kind of got your, your halves at top and then everyone else is kind of bunched together. And the margin for error for all of those remaining teams is just very, very thin. You've got some extremely awful teams in the Bears and the Texans, the Broncos, etc. And then, like I said, that middle of the pack is just so tightly packed where almost anything can happen in any given week. And it's just a lot of bad football at times. So even, you know, teams like the the Dolphins, the the Patriots, the, you look at the AFC East in the non-Bills portion of it, the, the, the teams that the Packers have played, again, uh, Dolphins, uh, Jets, Patriots, Packers could have won or lost any of those games. They end up two and one in those three specific games. I think it's just a microcosm of how this season has gone and where this Packers team is at. You just don't know what's going to happen week to week. And I don't know where this is going to head moving forward. I, I really thought that they would struggle in Miami. I didn't know that they had, I didn't, I didn't pit them to have the ability to go on a, a three-game winning streak, even though it was Bears, Rams, Dolphins, and you know two not very good football teams in the Bears and the Rams. I just didn't sure. I wasn't sure that they had that in them. Yet here they are. They have won three games in four weeks. The other game being the bye. They haven't lost in a month, and they have two home games left against the Vikings and against the Lions. And they are legitimately in this thing and legitimately have a chance to go to the playoffs. Like I said, kind of out of nowhere, not what I was expecting, but they get the victory in Miami and it wasn't pretty. All right. Legitimately was not pretty. They're down 20 to 10. And I just kind of want to fast forward to that point actually in the game. They are down 20 to 10. It is the two minute warning. It is second and two from the Dolphins' own 49-yard line. So basically midfield. Second and two, two minutes remaining, 20 to 10 in the ballgame. Everything is going the Dolphins' way, right? You had the missed, awful, faked punt already. The defense allowed 20 points in the first, what, 28 minutes of that game? They're on pace to allow over 40 points in that game, where that game was at right there. Injuries were already starting to pile up at that point. You had the Rodgers miss throw to, to Watson on fourth down. Didn't take advantage of the 93-yard kick return. Had to settle for a field goal on that. And at that point, just things were not looking great, right? Dolphins are potentially going down, probably kicking a field goal before halftime and you know probably running out the clock in the process, making this 23-10 to 10 at half in favor of the Dolphins with everything going their way. Defense did not look like they had any ability to stop the Dolphins at that point. And it just, it looked like this was probably going to be the end of the season. I think the announcers at one point sort of made mention of this as well, but this game was sort of a microcosm of the entire Packers season. Just when you think they are down and out, they find a way to claw their way back in and you just can't kill this team. This team has gone full on Undertaker. Undertaker has sat up and you know that he means business. And I didn't think the Packers were going to go full Undertaker, but here they are. They went full Undertaker and they are up and you better look out because if you don't kill this team when you have the chance and you might regret it down the road. And again, here we are. And I want to talk about that play because two minutes left, Jerron Reed 
forces the fumble on Raheem Mostert, and very likely, very possibly, saves the Packers season at that point. Because let's just let's just role play this out for a second, right? Let's just say 23-10. Maybe even it doesn't get to 23-10. Maybe they have to maybe they just run out the clock or pin the Packers deep in their own territory and the Packers can't do anything before halftime. And you go into halftime 20 to 10. All right, Packers come out, they score the touchdown on the first drive of the second half, 2017. At least the Dolphins have some sort of lead in that game. And maybe they lean on the running game a little bit more, go back to play action. Instead, the Packers get the field goal before half and then they get the touchdown. All of a sudden it's 2020 and this becomes a much tighter ball game. And Mike McDaniel, like we see a lot of these coordinators and coaches from this Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay style systems and sort of the new era of coaches they start getting a little bit antsy. They want to be playing from ahead. They kind of abandon the running games, at, running game at times. And that's what we saw out of this Dolphins team. And all of a sudden, get a little bit pass heavy with Tua. And all of a sudden, Tua starts making some poor decisions. And before you know it, the Packers win the game. And I, the, everyone's going to remember that Jerron Reed forced fumble, fumble recovery. Packers again go down, get the field goal, get the touchdown to start the second half. And it's game on, right? Just when you thought this team was probably dead again, they're they're right back in it in large part to Jerron Reed. But you go back to a couple other plays that Jerron Reed made prior to that play, right after the awful fake punt that went nowhere and fooled nobody, Dolphins get the ball and Jerron Reed and Kenny Clark combined for a big sack on that ensuing drive. Now, to be fair, it wasn't a drive killer because the Dolphins were able to convert on the next play and get a first down. That very next play, Jerron Reed makes a stuff at the line of scrimmage and forces kind of like a second and long. I talk about eating your vegetables. Jerron Reed ate his vegetables on that play, came up with the big run stop and got the Dolphins into more of a pass situation. So an obvious pass situation. So Jerron Reed coming up with some massive plays, the combo sack with Kenny Clark to have an opportunity to get off the field. They don't get off the field. He gets the stuff on first down. The the Packers eventually, you know, force the Dolphins to settle for a field goal because if they get a touchdown after that, you know, fake punt, man, that really puts them behind the eight ball as well. Packers defense came up huge on that ensuing drive for the Dolphins and forced the field goal. And then again, Jerron Reed with the force fumble, getting the Packers the ball back and allowing them to go into halftime only down by seven points. A massive season changing play by Jerron Reed. And maybe that season changing play only lasts one week. We'll see what happens in Minnesota and what happens with the commanders moving forward. Doesn't necessarily get the Packers in the playoffs. They still have work to do, job not done. But without that play, we would be potentially having a very different conversation today about this this team, well, probably about a loss. And it's just a massive, massive play by Jerron Reed and a, a player who's been up and down. I actually thought he started the season really well. And then he kind of has not played well, I would say, over the course of the last five, six, seven weeks. And then, uh, you know, you see signs like this, though. You see a couple plays here and there. He had a couple plays where he got moved off his spot in the run game. I'm going to be really interested in the All-22, but can make an argument, maybe no bigger play in the season so far than that Jerron Reed force fumble. I don't know if the Packers come back and win that game without that play. And then that, that kind of leads me into the Packers defense in the second half. And I'm just going to say, I have so many things I want to go over. I don't know how long this episode is going to last, but I have uh, so many notes. There's just so many crazy things that happen in this game. I want to I go over the Packers defense in the second half next, because 
as mentioned, Dolphins were on pace for 40 yards. Tua at one point was averaging 20.5 yards. This was late in the game. Tua was averaging 20.5 yards per completion. They were hitting plays down the field. You know, Mostert's first two carries go for 30 yards. Looks like they're going to be able to run the ball. This this defense didn't seem like they wanted to tackle at times. They didn't seem, it was, it was ugly. It was ugly, ugly. And then you have this in the second half, right? Dolphins start by going 10 plays, 45 yards. You force the field goal. They miss the field goal. Then they go one play, interception. Nine plays, 52 yards, interception. Two plays, three yards, interception. And that's it. That's it. That's the second half for the Dolphins. Miss field goal, pick, pick, pick. And the Packers defense comes up huge in the second half. And this is per Pack Daddy on Twitter, who does a really nice job. You can follow him on Twitter at Pack underscore Daddy, I believe it is. Uh, awesome Twitter handle. Um, this is from him. Since week eight, the Packers have the third best second half defense, allowing 7.4 points per game in the second half. They are tied for the number one defense in the fourth quarter in that same span with the 49ers at just 2.5 points per game in the fourth quarter. I tweeted out at the time, the Packers were up 26 to 20. We're going to talk about this scenario a little bit more later, but they were up 26 to 20 season on the line defense on the field. Matt LaFleur basically chose to kick the field goal and, and put the, the season in the hands of his defense rather than his offense. Again, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But at the time, how many of us were going through the scenarios in our heads of, all right, Joe Barry, defense, season on the line. This probably isn't going to end well. Two plays later, Rizul Douglas gets the pick. The Packers get off the field, win the game, and keep their season alive. We have had plenty to say about Joe Barry this season, and it's mostly been bad. And that criticism is deserved and was deserved. I don't think he did a great job with the, the talent that he had, and the talent hasn't lived up to expectations either. This is a two-way street, and we can talk about the scheme and the players and not melding those together well enough. That's partly on Gutekunst. That's mostly on Barry. It's all fair. It's all warranted. But not doing my job if we certainly don't call out the positives as well. Joe Barry made the adjustments that were needed in the second half. And as of late, he has made the needed adjustments in the second half to win games. Bears game, first half looked like a loss. They came back, the defense made adjustments and in large part won that game because of that. Even the, the Rams game in the second half, defense looked much better in the second half than they did in the first half. And then you got this game as well. So these aren't, especially the first two, the, the Bears and the you know the Rams, not exactly potent offenses, although don't tell Denver's defense that with the what the Rams were able to do uh, on uh, on Sunday. But, uh, you know, give Joe Barry credit where credit's due. He got his team turned around in the second half of this game, and he's a reason why this team was able to get a win. And like I said, keep the season on track. So uh, again, a lot of deserved criticism for Joe Barry through the course of the season, but we also have to acknowledge the positives. And there were certainly some positives over these last few weeks in second half defending. And like I said, game on the line, Matt LaFleur questionably put the put the ball in the hands of his defense and they came up big. Razul Douglas gets the pick and the, now we'll see what happens the remainder of these following two games. Now, I want to get a couple negatives out of the way here. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I just want to say, and this is, maybe you're just going to view this as me being negative. I will always try to just be realistic, not leaning one way or the other. I will say this. I do not, I do not think that this was a, a great game. by. I don't think this was a good game by Green Bay. Not, not even close. I don't think that they're going to watch the tape and be like, man, we went into Miami and we showed them who's boss. Like we, we dominate. Like, I don't think it's anything like that. I think Miami made a ton of mistakes in this game. And I think that was ultimately the biggest reason why the Packers won this game. It's not to take away from the Packers. It probably does take away from the Packers a little bit as I'm saying this, but it's not, that's not what it's meant to be. It's just being real. The Dolphins miscues in this game were massive. You start with the three interceptions in the second half, and I will readily admit and readily say, you, you don't just take all credit away from the Packers because the Dolphins made mistakes. The Packers forced some of these mistakes. The last interception by Rizul, awful read by Tua, but Rizul drops off of his guy. He's in, you know, he's in zone coverage. It looks like he's going to maybe be in man to begin it. It's a poor read from Tua. He throws it right to Rizul, but Green Bay had the right call in that situation. Rizul came off of his man, made the interception, right? Not not like this crazy, like, oh my God, I can't believe he made that play to threw it right to Rizul. But they called the right defense in that scenario. Rizul made the right move off of his guy, kind of made it look like man a little bit at the at the onset of that play, and then picked off the pass. Give some credit to Green Bay there. The Jair pick. I will say that, you know, one of the things that's given to a trouble is jamming his guy on the outside. Quay Walker jams Tyreek Hill, throws off the time. This is a timing-based offense in Miami, right? Timing's a little bit off. Tua overthrows Tyreek Hill right in the waiting hands of Jair Alexander. Uh, and I think the Campbell one, probably the most legitimate, you know, you look at Campbell pre-snap and he's like, you know, looking like he's not going to maybe know what to do or where to go. He kind of makes a quick adjustment, fl- flies to the other side of the field. Tua kind of looks this way and is going to like pump this way and then throw up the seam in the middle of the field, not expecting Devondre Campbell, who was just communicating on that side of the defense to be there. Campbell kind of screams to the side of the play. Tua throws the ball. Campbell reads it perfectly, makes the pick. It's a blind throw and and Tua's got to be better there. But you know, kudos to to Campbell for making that play at the same time. So three awful picks by Tua. There's no two way about it. (laughs) No two ways about it. Uh, That was not intended and is awful, but no two ways about it. Uh, It was awful play by Tua Tagovailoa. But you also have to give the Packers credit for playing good defense and being in the right position at the right time and just picking off the plays and making the plays, right? 
Raheem Mostert fumble. That's another massive mistake by the Dolphins. Now, give Jerron Reed credit, which we did already, right? Jerron Reed forces the fumble, gets back, recovers the fumble. That is a massive, massive play by uh, Jerron Reed. But Raheem Mostert, you can't put the ball on the ground there. You've got a huge play in this game that is going to be completely forgotten unless you read my tweet from last night. You have an illegal formation. The, the, the Dolphins were down 23 to 20. Everything going in the Packers' favor at this point. 23-20. There's 6.43 left in the game, and the Dolphins are at the 25-yard line. Tua hits Waddle in stride. Waddle makes a couple guys miss, turns up field, gets a 15-yard gain, and it's first and goal at the Packers' 10-yard line. This was 6.43 remaining. First and goal, 10-yard line uh, after the play. And they're set to go in and at minimum, at minimum, tie the game. Jalen Waddell was lined up in an illegal formation. And Jair, kudos to Jair for pointing it out right away. And they, instead of getting the 15-yard play, take the five-yard penalty. Very next play throws the interception to Devondre Campbell. A huge miscue from the Dolphins on that play. After the fake punt fail, the horrible fake punt fail, you have a a huge holding penalty on Miami that backs him up further and makes that situation so much harder. You have the Xavier Howard pick that Rodgers threw right to Xavier Howard, one of the best interceptors in uh, in football over the last few seasons. Hits him in stride and Howard bringing it down drops the interception. You have the missed field goal by the Dolphins. Not like a super easy field goal. It wasn't like a 30-yard or anything, but I think it was under 50 yards. I think it was in the 40s and a just a blatant missed field goal. Those are all mistakes that may either kept Green Bay in this game or just kind of gave the, what, the the game away for the Dolphins. And like I said, give the Packers credit for doing the things that they needed to do in those situations. But there were a ton of, and those are just a, like the, the biggest low-hanging fruit handful of negative plays by the Dolphins that I wanted to mention. There were certainly others as well. And this is a game where the Dolphins played like awful in the second half. So... Once again, I'm going to say one more time, give credit to the Packers. They took advantage of the opportunities when they needed to. I just don't think that you're going to watch the, if you want to rewatch the game, watch the L22, which I'm excited to watch the L22. I'll look at it again. And as I do my tape review in the coming days, if I see something different, I promise you, I will let you know. But as I rewatch the game, um, and as I watch the game live, didn't think this was a, a, a you know fantastic performance by any stretch. There were multiple mistakes by Green Bay that probably could have and should have cost him the game from missing Watson long to not capitalizing on the 93-yard kickoff return, having to settle for a field goal after taking a sack to uh, you know, interception to Lazard, almost interception to Xavier Howard, the 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 miss punt or the miss fake punt. Like we could go on and on. The the red zone issues in this game. There were so many issues that Green Bay had that could have very easily cost them this game, and that didn't because the Dolphins kind of had their own miscues that kind of cost them the game. So. Good game from Green Bay. They got the win, but a lot, a lot of miscues from the Dolphins as well. All right, that brings me to the secondary. A bizarro Jekyll and Hyde performance from the secondary. Some huge highs, some extreme lows. 
the the, the Jalen Waddle plays, the Tyree Kill plays, the explosive plays down the field. It didn't look like this secondary had a prayer in keeping up with Waddle and Hill. And for the majority of the day, they did it. They hit on explosive play after explosive play. And then you just had poor angles in the secondary. You had Jair completely whiffing on a tackle on the, the Waddle touchdown. You had Amos who had zero shot of keeping up with either Hill or Waddle at the second level. They have to change safeties at times. Like it was a nightmare. And again, the the unwillingness to tackle, the tackling issues, the poor angles, all of it was evident. And apparently, per Rizul Douglas, Jerry Gray went off in the locker room in the in at halftime on the secondary and basically demanded that they play better and, and just went off on them and set the tone for the second half. And as we talked about already, this Packers defense played way, way better in the second half. They were still allowing over 20.5 yards completion late in this game, and they were still hitting on some big plays. But you have all three interceptions in the second half. The pass defense was certainly better, not great, but better. But at the same time, your season is on the line. And you have to have a talking to by Jerry Gray at halftime to perform better? Like, that is insane. Like, how? Like, why? You you are the highest paid corner in football in Jair Alexander. Razul Douglas, who got a huge contract and played fantastic a season ago and came up with some big plays in this game as well. I know Keyshawn Nixon got hurt. We'll talk about that a little bit more as well. You're Darnell Savage, a first round pick who ended up playing more in this game because of the injuries. You're Adrian Amos. You're like, this should be a group that can communicate well and get like, played together for a while. And instead, you have these consistent struggles, miscommunications, poor tackling, you know, inefficient tackling, poor angle, like all of it. And that just can't happen. And yeah, it's great that Jerry Gray had to give up, you know, gave a great pep time or halftime pep speech and, um, you know, pumped up the secondary. That can't happen. You can't, in a, in a game you have to have with the playoffs on the line, in a, in a, you know, you're the only game on. It's not a primetime game, but it's a noon game on Christmas Day and you're the only NFL game on. Like, what are you doing? And I know, listen, I get Waddle Hill, two of the best, two cheat codes, two guys you would never want to see across from you at any given moment. I'm not saying it's easy, but we saw this team have a lot better focus in the second half and the secondary play so much better in the second half. Why can't that be a 60 minute thing? Why can't that be an all season thing? It's about time they started demanding more from those second backs, secondary and defensive backs because they need to play better. They haven't played well enough. And everyone on that defensive coaching staff and on that, def- on that defense as a whole, like, Jobs are on the line on this season because this defense is well underperformed. Rashawn Gary being out has hurt things a lot. I get that. And if they were playing great before that, I would have a lot more accident forgiveness with that injury. But they weren't playing great before that. They're playing even worse after that. And thankfully, in the second half, they were able to turn some things around in large part due to those Dolphins miscues that I talked about earlier. But I'm happy to see they were able to get it turned around. Hopefully, it's something that they can build on moving forward. And and that they don't have to have more halftime speeches by Jerry Gray to get to playing well because that's unacceptable in my opinion. All right, let's talk some positives. Run defense. Raheem Mostert, two carries, thirty yards to open the game. Two carries, thirty yards. The running backs the rest of the day, including Mostert and, and Jeff Wilson, those are the only two. Fifteen carries, 
52 yards, 3.5 yards per carry. So you have those two big explosives by Moss. And explosives are like, you know, 15-yard average. It's not great, but it's not like you gave up a 60-yarder at least. But two carries, 30 yards for Mostert on the first drive. Rest of the day, 15 carries, 52 yards for the running backs. They actually held up very well at the point of attack. They lost Dean Lowry at one point. I thought Wyatt, and I'll again, I'll look at the all 22 as the, as the week goes on. I don't want to make any profound uh you know proclamations here without seeing the all 22 which is really going to tell the whole story but you don't get to 15 52 the remainder of the way without doing some hard work and it looked like on, on second on rewatch like tj slayton kenny clark uh Devontae wyatt jerron reed it looked like those guys were putting in some serious effort i thought preston smith had a really really nice game i uh, had a couple nice run stops had a couple pressures had a sack i, I thought this was a really nice game from preston but I thought those guys up front on the defensive line did a really good job of you know containing Mostert and Wilson the remainder of the game. Give the Dolphins some credit there too because they kind of stopped feeding those guys. Probably should have ran them a little bit more, but a part of the reason is because those guys were holding up much better than they did uh, on that opening drive. So love that the run defense was able to kind of get bounced back and you know kind of stop those guys the remainder of the game because if they didn't, especially like what we saw from Mostert on those first two carries and you're just like, Man, I've seen this movie before. I don't. I don't want to see Raheem Mostert ever touch a football again. If you're a Green Bay Packer fan, uh, but they held them, you know, in check the remainder of the game, along with Jeff Wilson. So nice job by that run defense. The remainder of the game after that first drive. Some other positives I mentioned: Preston Smith, the pressures, the sack. I thought uh, he had a couple really key plays at really key times, and I'm really excited to watch him on all 22 this week. Mercedes Lewis now. I know that when they went back and looked at it and they went to the, you know, um, you know, the, the referee booth and everything like that. Yeah, it looks like he probably dropped the, the deep ball uh, from Aaron at the uh, at the end of that play, maybe hit the ground, maybe doesn't exactly come down with it. Still ends up being if you look back at Mercedes Lewis career stats, it's not going to have an asterisk because uh, they forgot to challenge the play. Right. Goes down in the books, so we're going to count it. That was a huge play in the game. And then also the fourth down conversion, right? Fourth down conversion, Mercedes Lewis finds himself open in the end zone again. Rodgers finds him. They don't convert on that play. And you have two drives that basically end far, far, far deep in uh, Miami territory with only three points to show for it, and which could have just been an absolute killer. So him getting the touchdown on that fourth down, and then just a, a couple classic Mercedes Lewis blocks in this game as well. There's one where he seals the edge and they get, bounce a big run to the outside. He's just been doing that all year long. It goes unnoticed the majority of the time, but love seeing that type of game from Mercedes Lewis. I also wanted to shout out the three safeties on special teams, Tariq Carpenter, Ennis Gaines, Dallin Levitt, those guys kept making tackle after tackle after tackle on special teams. Special teams a little bit up and down. You had the big kick return. You had a holding penalty at one point. You had Romeo Dobbs take one out where he shouldn't have taken out. You had the, like, I've said it like a million times this episode already, but the awful, awful, awful fake punt. So you had some down plays, but there was some really, really good stuff on special teams as well. Um, again, the 93-yard return, the, the biggest of that, but the, this team did a really nice job in coverage, and Carpenter, Gaines, and Levitt were a huge part of that. Keyshawn Nixon, another massive return. The guy's a freak. I wish he didn't get injured because he's so insanely fun to watch and just so dangerous with the ball in his hands at any given moment. Just so out of nowhere. Still can't believe that that's a thing. I mean, how many times have we seen before where Green Bay just like cycles through returners and they're like, all right, well, I'll throw this guy back there and see if something sticks. And then of course it doesn't. And then they do it again and it doesn't and again and it doesn't. I was like, so when Keyshawn Nixon goes back there, you're like, 
okay, yeah, Amari Rodgers, this is the backup to Amari Rodgers. This guy's going to suck. And then he's just like the best returner in the league. Like, it's just still mind-blowing. But awesome return by Keyshawn. Awesome block by Patrick Taylor on that play. Enigbare had a nice block on that play. Tyler Davis had a nice block on that play. So, you know, Nixon doesn't get that stuff without good blocking. He makes it happen. We've we've seen good blocking and returners do nothing with it. Cough Amari Rodgers, cough. But, uh Nixon is, you know, when you have a guy like that, you want to block for more. And there were some really nice blocks on that kick return. Also loved the Alan Lazard three-man block and then counting out the one, two, three to show this was on an offensive play, not a special teams play, but blocks three guys in a play. That's the big Aaron Jones toss to the outside and then counts the three guys that are laying on the ground because of his block. So awesome stuff from Alan Lazard there as well. I want to touch on Aaron Rodgers quickly because always a hot button topic. I thought this was mostly a, a poor performance from Aaron, if I'm being honest, and some really good stuff mixed in, just some MVP caliber stuff. He had a couple plays with his legs. The throw to Mercedes Lewis is, you know, probably Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, like three guys in the league that could maybe make that throw. And even if those guys attempt that throw, like extremely difficult throw to make. And it just, you don't, just don't take those for granted because Man, we, we could go another two decades without a quarterback that could make that throw. Like, that's how good of a throw that that is. I, I swore when he let that go, he was throwing it, you know, 10 yards into the, you know, into the sideline to just throw it away. And then you see you see Mercedes Lewis, of all people, have like a step down field. You're like, that's not going to drop into his arms, right? And then it drops into his arms. Like, just MVP, gorgeous, crazy stuff. And he had the deep ball to Alan Lazard. Like, just beautiful like that's the one where it's the cliche you couldn't hand it off to him any better but you legitimately couldn't hand it off to him any better if he, if he could do the Zach Morris timeout I'm aging myself saved by the bell reference but if you could do the Zach Morris timeout and everyone froze and he could just kind of run downfield and hand the ball literally uh to Alan Lazard in that play it, you couldn't have handed it to him better that's just a beautiful beautiful ball uh from Aaron Rodgers a, a play that we've seen him make thousands of times but like I said don't take those for granted those are beautiful gorgeous throws but you had the sack taken early in the game. That was a really bad sack to take. Cobb's coming open. I think as Cobb's coming open, the guy's kind of in his face and he doesn't, you know, there's not an arm angle there. I think he can get it to Cobb. I trust Aaron Rodgers that he probably couldn't get it to Cobb. If you're giving him the benefit of the doubt there, even if you're giving him the benefit of the doubt, you got to throw that ball away. You got to throw it 30 yards into the, you know, into the stands at that point. You cannot take that sack and take away potential, uh, you know, a touchdown there because after that sack, you're not getting a touchdown anymore. And maybe they went to anyway, and the way that red zone offense played through the majority of that game, maybe it doesn't end up costing the Packers any points anyway, but man, you cannot take that sack there. And then fourth and two. And you've got Christian Watson screaming down the field. I know people are going to be upset with the shot play. If you told me, I don't, I don't care what the down and distance is. I don't care what the score is. I don't care. Just, I don't, I don't ever care what the scoreboard says. If you tell me at any point in the game, at any time that you get Christian Watson one-on-one -on -one down the field with like three steps on his defender and Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball. And no pressure on Rodgers on the play to make the uh, when he's making the pass. If you can give me that scenario, I don't care what the down is, I don't care what the distance is, I don't care what the score is. Give me that. That's what I want. And again, we there have been some shot plays, some hero ball at times that I, I you know you you have to tone it down a little bit. You can't do it on every third or fourth and short. But like I said, 
I don't care whatever the down distance situation quarter score. If you get me Christian Watson with three yards of separation down the field and Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball, I like my odds. And Rodgers overthrew him by like good seven yards. Like that can't happen. You had the pick to Lazard. Was there some contact on the play? Probably. I agree with Mike Pereira that that's probably not a play that you're going to call more often than not. I also think that you have to adjust for the way that the game is being called. That was a physical game where they didn't call much. You look at both sides. There were some tugging on jerseys. Douglas got away with a couple. There was some physical play at the point of attack. They weren't calling anything down the field. So you have to adjust to that. If you're Aaron Rodgers, you have to anticipate that a little bit more. But more importantly, if you're Alan Lazard, yeah, you're going to get pushed off the ball. You got to go up and make a play. You got to be physical back. We saw some of the, I think it was Romeo Dobbs be physical later in the game and say, you know what? Screw it. They're going to allow physicality. I'm going to go play physical. That's what you got to do in those situations. But that that's a, a pick to Lazard. It's basically an arm punt. It doesn't, that one didn't matter all that much. The pick to Howard down the sideline, that could have been a season ender if Howard holds on to that one. So some plays, some uncharacteristic plays from Aaron in this one. I, I said it yesterday in the pregame show. They this team needs their stars. If they, if they actually want to make like a run, run right, like meaning you're going to beat Minnesota, you're going to beat Detroit, you're going to get in the playoffs and maybe like upset a team or two. If you actually are like hoping that that's going to happen, they have to have their stars play like stars. You had moments from Jair in this game. You had moments from Rodgers in this game, but that they didn't play consistently throughout the game at the level that this team needs those guys to play at. And that goes for a lot of the stars on this team. So some really good MVP play from Rodgers at times, but not consistent enough where we saw it over and over again, like we've saw over the last two seasons uh, with Matt LaFleur in this offense. Um, red zone issues we kind of talked about. I mentioned in the pregame show that I thought red zone was going to be the difference in this game. Glad I was wrong about that because Green Bay did not perform well in the red zone and thankfully was still able to get away with a win. It's something they've struggled with all season. That starts with mentality. That starts with offensive line. This is not a mauling physical offensive line. I thought the offensive line played well in this game. They picked up blitz as well. They didn't run the ball very well. Uh, 17 carries, 61 yards and a touchdown for Jones and Dylan. Uh, that's just not good enough. Um, but I, I thought overall the offensive line played well enough, especially in pass protection. But this is just a team ultimately that, you know, if you're going to be a good red zone team, you have to be good along the offensive line. You got to be able to push defenders back. And Green Bay just doesn't have that level of physicality up front. And I think that if you go back to, you know, in 2020, when they were like the best, you know, red zone team in football, Bakhtiari left tackle. Jenkins left guard, Lindsley center. You've got Billy Turner. I think what was that the Rick Wagner season? I want to say maybe I'm transposing a couple seasons, but um, that 2020 offensive line was really, really freaking good. And since then, losing Lindsley, losing Bakhtiari due to injury the majority of the last couple seasons, Jenkins at times lost due to ACL or coming back from injury and working rust off. That O-line just hasn't been the same from a physicality standpoint. And that really is what I think has hurt them the most in the red zone. Don't know what to make of that fake punt. I was, I've been waiting for kind of like years for like Matt LaFleur to be a little bit more creative with some of the trick plays and a fake punt here or there. He hasn't done a ton of it. Now I guess I know why, because if, you're, if your ideal fake punt is Dallin Levitt sneaking it up the middle when the defense seemed to have kind of like a, a safe punt uh, defense on, not not a great play. Not sure what happened there. He was not asked about it in the postgame presser, but that was a very ugly play and something that can't happen and could have cost them the game. A couple scenarios 
I want to talk about really quick at the end of the game. Then we're going to wrap things up uh, with kind of some playoff odds, some injuries, and, and a couple things like that. There's a play in this game late in the game where you have the opportunity, and I want to check my notes here because I meant to put it on my screen and I totally forgot, um, but you've got 303 left in the game and it's second and two for the Dolphins, or second and two for the Packers. 303 left in the game, second and two for the Packers. The Dolphins had two timeouts and the Dolphins jumped offsides on the play. And I mentioned at the time immediately, like I'm pretty sure the Dolphins jumped offsides on purpose. Packers did something similar a couple years ago and the in the postgame presser I asked Matt LaFleur about it and he had a wry smile and he's like yeah that was on purpose there are certain situations this is a very this is something that will happen in like Madden all the time there are certain situations where it's better uh, for the opposing team to get a first and ten than it is for them to play out the the second and two Matt LaFleur in this postgame presser was asked about it not by me but was asked about it and he said, yeah, they knew that the Dolphins did it on purpose and they considered declining it uh, and, and keeping the second and two, but instead chose to take the, the new set of downs and go for the first and 10. It's an interesting situation. There's not a perfect right or wrong. Second and one, second or two is one of the best down and distances you can be in in football because everything is at your disposal. Like if you're a defense, you're just like, almost any second and two, you can actually make an analytical argument that you would rather just go off sides and allow them to have a first and 10 and start the whole process over rather than kind of giving them a free play on second down and then having the ability to come back and run two plays if they don't get an explosive on second down and still try to pick up the first down. Like there's just so many things at an offense's disposal in a second and two that you're almost just willing to give them a first and 10. But in that situation, they had already taken the timeout, so the, the, the clock wasn't running. There was no stoppage in, in clock by the offsides. But what you're anticipating at that point is that either on second down or on third down, they're going to pick up that first down. And then you have to start the whole series over. And remember, you will have a finite amount of timeouts. So the Dolphins are saying, even if we hold them here on second down, actually holding them on second down might be the worst thing. Because we hold them on second down, we use a timeout, and then they get it on like a third and one. Now we have to use another timeout, and now they have first and 10, and the only thing that stops the clock is a two-minute warning, and we are screwed. Even if you get uh, you know, a hold on um, second down, and, or even if they get the first down on second down, you have to use a timeout there, and then it's first and 10. So right, so what you're saying is, you're playing the percentages, you're playing the odds, you're saying in all likelihood, in the next three downs, second, third, and fourth down, they're probably gonna pick up two yards. And for us to play that out, isn't gonna be super advantageous for us. Instead, we're gonna give them a new set of downs, we're gonna play the run aggressively, we're gonna start this process over, and then we're gonna use our timeouts after first down, after second down, and then if they run the ball on third, we will get the two minute warning, we can get the ball back, etc., cetera, uh, and those sort of things. So. That's ultimately what happened. They jump off sides on purpose. The Packers decide if they want to accept it or not. They accept the penalty, making it first and 10. They go backwards. Then you have the Jones, uh, excuse me, the Dylan handoff on like second and 13. And Dylan almost broke it, like this close to breaking it, game over, right? And then you've got the third down and they run, they don't get it. Then they try to draw them off sides. They don't get them off sides and they decide to kick the field goal on fourth down. And the strategy uh, for McDaniel was right. They got it perfect. They get the ball back. 2.02 left on the clock, I think is when they, they took over and they've got a chance to go down, down by six. 
and still have enough time to go down and win the game. So a very interesting uh, argument analytically there of what should have been done. If you're Green Bay, I kind of I, I kind of don't hate accepting the penalty. I'm willing to take the new first down and, and keep going, but you're probably helping out the defense a little bit there as well. And like I said, the plan for Mike McDaniel worked perfectly, and they were able to to hold. So well done by the the Dolphins, and a, a situation that Green Bay will have to kind of evaluate moving forward. And like I said. A situation that Green Bay has used to their advantage before when they were on defense, and they had also worked for Matt LaFleur in the past. And then the last thing um, in in game theory here, I want to talk about, I always talk to you guys about outs at the end of a game, right? So the decision on third down, and it worked, right? So the benefit of hindsight, they run on third down, run some clock, and then try to jump off or try to get them to jump off sides. They don't. And then they kick the field goal on fourth, go up by six. They kick the ball off and then they get the interception and game over. So at the end of the day, it worked. But from a game theory standpoint, I actually don't like the decision that Green Bay made here. The reason being, I talk about giving yourself as many outs as possible. Let's just start by saying this. If you go up by six, what are you forcing the other team to do? You're forcing the other team to go for seven, go for it on every fourth down and do everything in their power to get in the end zone. You're actually incentivizing them to go down and score a touchdown. And if that happens, you lose, right? So instead of if you're if you actually fail everything else and you're only up by three, you're almost just you know, incentivizing them to get into field goal. Like you're just trying to get them into field goal range. The other team's almost just trying to get in field goal range. We're not saying they're not trying to win the game, but now they, they're not maybe going to be as loose going for it in fourth down in the opposing team's territory. They're going to take the field goal and go to overtime, right? So the first thing you're doing is you're incentivizing them to beat you rather than giving them an out to tie you. The other thing I will say is by it, when you had the third down, right? At that point, you have multiple outs. The first thing you can do is you can probably throw on third down. And if you pick up the third down, if you pick up the first down on third down, the game is over. All right. So that's your first out. That doesn't work. You've got fourth down. Now, if you get, you know, if you've got, if you go for it on fourth down, you have another out. Now it depends on what happens on third down, right? So you can argue on third down, they hand the ball. They try to get the first down on the ground. It doesn't work. You can argue that they went with that. Now you've got fourth and two. Now here's another situation where again, you have an out where if you convert the fourth, it's game over and the the game is done and you have the ability to win the game right there. And even if you don't, now you can stop them from uh, kicking a field goal. You have an opportunity there. And even if they kick a field goal, you have an opportunity to win in overtime. So you're giving yourself multiple outs rather than again, incentivizing them to go for seven. Now it's harder to get seven. I understand that. But Either way, if you allow seven, either when you're up by three or when you're up by six, you lose the game. So if they get seven, either way, game over, they win. So you're giving yourself multiple outs by going for it on third, going for it on fourth, and then trying to stop them from kicking a field goal, maybe having an opportunity in overtime, rather than just kicking the field goal and saying, we all have one out, we have to stop them from scoring a touchdown, or we're going to lose. It's a, it's not a bad out. I get that. It's, it's putting the most pressure on the Dolphins to actually have to go and navigate 70 yards and score a touchdown in two minutes. But uh, if they do it, you lose. So I don't know. I would have probably liked to see Green Bay go with the other decision there, but like I said, it worked and you're not going to be too harsh on anything when it, it was the winning strategy. So kudos to them. They got it right in the end. It, it made it work, but from a game theory standpoint, probably would have had them try it on third, try it on fourth, and then um, try it on fourth depending on the down and distance, and then you know 
try to stop them from kicking the field goal and then go to overtime if need be. All right. Injuries. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Christian Watson is, uh, we don't know. He said he's going to be okay uh, after the game to Ryan Wood. That will be an injury worth monitoring. He did not come back in the game. Keyshawn Nixon did not come back. Yash Nyman did not come back. Dean Lowry did not come back. So those are going to be some massive injuries to keep an eye on as this week goes along. Hopefully nothing serious, but Nyman, Nixon, and Watson are huge keys to this team. Lowry, they were able to get by without. I think we'd all like to see maybe Lowry get down to like that fifth defensive lineman rather than like the third defensive lineman, but uh, he still is helpful in the five-man rotation as a whole. They held up well with the four guys without him, but uh, would still be a loss either way. But those are four injuries that we're going to have to work, uh, you know, kind of keep an eye on through the course of this week. Playoff odds and scenarios. Green Bay, uh, per The Athletic, I think, or ESPN, one of the two, doesn't matter, are about a 28% chance right now of making the playoffs. So they were at 7%, I think, going into the game, and now they're at 28% or going into the week. They got all the help they needed on Saturday. They win the game on Sunday, and now they've got, you know, a little bit more than a quarter uh, of a chance of winning this game. The easiest scenarios... Uh, Packers need to win their final two games. Basically, you you can almost eliminate now uh, any scenario that doesn't involve them winning their last two games. They need to win their last two games, and then they either need the Giants to lose both of their games or the Commanders to lose one of their last two. The Commanders play the Browns, and then they play the Cowboys. So you could have them lose to the Browns in the noon game. And by the time Packers-Vikings kicks off at 320, the Packers could have their entire destiny in their hands, knowing that they just need to beat the Vikings and the Lions at home to make the playoffs. That is the first scenario. If, let's say, the Giants win and the Commanders lose, or, uh, Commanders win, excuse me, Commanders and Giants both win, Packers beat the uh, you, you Packers beat the Vikings, Packers beat the Lions. You could end in a scenario where in order to get into the playoffs, you need a Mike McCarthy win over the Commanders in week 18. Dallas probably not a lot to play for. Does Mike McCarthy help out the Packers and Aaron Rodgers to get into the playoffs? Not so sure about that, but you could end up with a need, a Mike McCarthy win is needed in order for the Packers to get in the playoffs. Let's just hope the Commanders lose their next game and then the Packers can take care of business and you go from there. Again, you could have the Giants lose both games as well. They have the Colts and the Eagles. Eagles may not have a lot to play for in that last game either. We will have to wait and see. Would be ironic if the Packers playoff hopes hinged on McCarthy in week 18. That does it for me. I don't know what to make of this team moving forward or what's going to happen next. This has been a roller coaster of a season and you've got high highs and low lows on almost any given play, any given down, any given week. It's just been a really crazy, weird season. Let's see where it takes us the rest of the way. It's been fun. The rest of the season should remain fun. Packers are still alive in this thing. They did the Undertaker. They rose up from the dead and now they've got a puncher's chance the remainder of this season. By the way, Matt LaFleur has won at least 13 games in every season so far with the Packers. The only way that he gets to 13 wins this year is if they win the whole damn thing. We'll see if he can do it. That does it for me. I'll see you guys right back here tomorrow. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.